Thank you for tuning in to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please subscribe to our weekly Boston Bruins Hockey Talk on listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify Podcasts. We'd certainly appreciate it if you give us show a five-star rating along with a written review. You can also subscribe to our official YouTube channel for a video version of our weekly program. If you'd like to support our show financially, please go to our blackandgoldhockey.com website and click on our affiliated fanatics banner before shopping online. Another way to financially support our weekly program is to become a Patreon member to be eligible for weekly Boston hockey prizes and monthly Boston Bruins hand-signed jersey giveaways. Please go to patreon.com slash podcast and donate just $1 per episode. Many thanks for the continued support and enjoy the show. Boston Bruins fans, Mark Alvarez, host of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. We're back for uh, episode 267, powered by BetOnline.ag. Go check out those guys over at BetOnline.ag and use the code CLNS50 if you could, please. It would certainly help us on this podcast. Um, lots of topics to talk about. All Bruins related all the time here at the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. I'm with my host, Kevin O'Keefe. Kevin, what is happening, sir? Not too much, man. Super excited to talk hockey again. And we have an awesome guest, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. We do have a very good guest, and he's one of my dear friends. He's the man. He's the man of um, of all the people. He he provides valuable information to me, Kevin, and, and Bruins Nation throughout. And his name is Dominic Tiano. You can follow him at on Twitter, at Dom Tiano. Dom, what's up, man? Oh, doing good, boys. Thanks for the nice intro. I, you know, uh, Kevin tweeted at me last night after the Bruins made the trade for for Callahan, and I said, "Hey, man, like I was in bed at that time. I'm not waking up for that <laughs> alert." So, I, I reached out to you this morning and said, "Hey, you know, if I can make it home in time, I'd love to jump on." So here we are. Absolutely, and glad you made it home safely too. I heard there's an ice storm in Southern Ontario. Yeah, it's coming. Uh, luckily, I beat it. So, not to rub it in at all, but it's 67 degrees here in New England. Oh, it's cold it here, man. Right <laughs> yeah, but tomorrow, tomorrow, Dom, it's going to be cold, and then Friday, it's going to be a shit show. We're getting the ice storm apparently tomorrow. So, yeah, I heard it's, it's yeah, we're probably getting though. get like six to eight inches. So, of ice. Well, no, 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 snow and mix and all kinds of stuff. Whatever it is, getting, I don't like it. We're only supposed to get five centimeters, which is like two inches. 
There you go. So we're all right. Yes, we are. We are all right. And uh, before we get to the all right Bruins hockey talk, we do want to hear about show sponsor betonline.ag. Football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full stream for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fire coach is going to land, betonline.ag is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50 to get started. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.ag is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage, which is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline.ag is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline.ag, it's where the game starts. All right, we're back. We just heard myself talk about betonline.ag. They are a fantastic website for all your betting needs. And please do it responsibly. We certainly appreciate that. And please use the code CLNS50 because that really, really helps our program and grow our um, uh, what we're doing here. All the Bruins hockey talk that we're doing and uh, pays the bills. So uh, let's get started. Why don't we just jump right into last week's games. Um uh, the on February seventeenth, twenty twenty two, the Boston Bruins were at the new USB Arena in Elmont, New York, to play the New York Islanders. Uh, just going to talk about the Bruins' goals. Uh, Bruins forward Taylor Hall, who's been playing well lately, got his eleventh of the season and uh, the only goal of this game's first period at the seven twenty six mark, assisted by forward Craig Smith and defenseman Mike Riley. This was such a uh, Taylor Hall goal, to be honest. Hall accepted a forwarding advancement from Craig Smith and skated hard along the boards. And um, just when he looked like he was going to take the turn around the net, Taylor Hall does Taylor Hall things and fires a puck on net from the goal line and somehow squeaks it through uh, goaltender Sorokin's um, wickets. So... Uh, but unfortunately, that was the only goal of the game for the Boston Bruins. The second and third period, the host New York Islanders completely owned the Bruins, getting goals from Jean Gabriel Pajot. And uh, I said that awful, very wrong. Uh, Pajot bad, works. Bad French. Um, the second and third period, the host New York Islanders completely owned the Bruins, getting goals from Jean Gabriel Pajot. In the middle frame, and Noah Dobson, Matthew Barzell, and Brock Nelson, Nelson all scored in the final frame to give the New York club a 4-1 to victory. Bruins goaltender Lenius Allmark got the starting goal and got the tough loss with little to no help in front of him. Allmark surrendered three goals in this game in just over 58 minutes of work. Lenius is now 16-8-1 with a 2.79 goals against average and a 9.09 save percentage. Shots on goal against the Isles uh, had the Isles beating them 29-27. And so far this season, in two games, the Islanders have won both contests, outscoring the Bees 7-2. The next game for these two clubs will be on March 26th in Boston at TD Garden at 12.30 p.m. Thoughts on this game, uh, gentlemen? Let's start with our, our guest first, Don Tiano. 
Well, I just want to touch on the the Taylor Hall goal uh, because I've been watching him since he was 16 years of age. So that is the Taylor Hall that I know uh, throughout all those years. That's that's the type of player he can be. My problem is is we're we're not seeing it regularly or consistently enough with Boston. Um, well, heck, we didn't even see it with Buffalo last year. But that's the, the type of player he can be. And that's what the Bruins need Taylor Hall to be moving forward if they're going to find some success. As for the game, man, you know, I watch a game like that, and and I think to myself, Donnie, sweetie, hold on to your assets. This team isn't going anywhere. Um, just stand pat. Don't. We we need these picks. We need the prospects. Don't give them up. Then you watch a game like against Colorado and you go, you know what? If they play like that for 60 minutes, they can compete. Go out and get player X to help this team. So it's a, mis- a mixed bag. And, and I know Kevin's going to agree with me because I watch him on Twitter with some of his comments. So um, t- take it away, Kevin. Yeah, there you go, Kev. What do you think about this game? Yeah, I mean, the game itself is he hit the nail on the head. It's it's kind of like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type situation with this team where one game you don't know what you're seeing out there, and then the next you have um, a complete 60-minute effort against one of the best teams in the league. And it's really it's really frustrating, and I also want to touch upon that Taylor Hall goal. Um, I I've said I, I put a tweet out about it. Um, that goal is very underrated uh, at first glance. It may seem like um, it's more the goaltender's fault why that went in because he kind of came off the post. But Taylor Hall, the way he was able to fake his, fake his way towards the inside, kind of make it look like he was ready to cut into the inside or even pass across crease, just gave gave it gave him enough time to snap a wrister once Sorokin came off the post just a little bit. And that's how good Taylor Hall can be with his movements and his strides. He's um, he's he's a powerful player when he wants to be. And I think having Pasternak has definitely helped him out tremendously. Um, we're seeing um, a lot better stuff out of him alongside a guy like that. So that's really good to see. Um, Allmark, he surrendered um, three goals on uh, 28 shots. So he had the 25 saves. I don't think he played all that bad in the game. I, I, I think it was more of a product of what was in front of him. And it was not a good product that night, especially with Berge coming back in the lineup. And just a game previously, you played the uh, New York Rangers who are, you know, for me, a dark horse to make a cup final. I think they're a really good team, very strong team. And they had, they, they had a great game against that team. I think Um, that was a really fun game and to come back and, have that showing against the Islanders who are still a good team who have had a lot of struggles this year. I just feel like you could have gotten more out of that lineup. Um, for me in this game, it was typical. Like I know the narrative is like Lou Lemorello hockey, you know, it was just, it was just flat out kind of boring to me. I, I watched the whole thing. But I was just like, damn it. I mean, they can't just create any chances because it just seems like the, the Islanders just, they know, what to do to the Bruins this season, um, you know, in previous games. But also, I find it disturbing that we can't figure out this style of hockey 
um, because it, it it happens from other teams too. Ottawa is a very good example of, of how that an Islanders team can play as well. It might not be the exact same, but it's kind of like a trap. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's very weird hockey to me. It's very Lou Lamorello ish. Um, but uh, you know, it's unfortunate that the you can't they just couldn't win that game because those points are such a premium right now, especially when you're sitting in the second wild card spot, uh, comfortably in the second wild card spot, a little bit of ahead ahead of Detroit and so on, uh, ten points ahead actually. So um, I, I just thought that that game would have been a little bit better. And um, yeah, I, I have to agree with you. There was really no support in front of um, uh, Linus on that and um, in, in that game. Well, let, let, let me throw this at you, Mark. How much is it the way the Islanders played and how much is it the Bruins not getting up for their below-the-line competition? Yeah, that's 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 very well said right there. Um, I don't I don't have a, a complete answer for that, to be honest with you. It just It's just so frustrating sometimes to watch this team play against, you know, lower level teams. Um, Yeah, because, I mean, as as Kevin alluded to, they played great against the Rangers. We just saw the way they played against Colorado. But you got Ottawa and the Islanders, two teams that aren't going anywhere, and you just can't get up for the games. And they had a day of rest, too, which makes absolutely no sense to me at all. But, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Uh, all right, moving on to the next game, which was February 19th, 2022. The Boston Bruins were at Canadian Tire Center to play the Ottawa Senators in the final contest of a four-game road trip. The Bees needed to bounce back as um, with a win as previous two games in New York during the roadie were uh, unfortunate losses. As you said, one overtime loss and then one just regulation uh, dumpster fire. Uh, with no scoring from either team in the opening frame, we go right to the second period at the 2:37 mark when forward Jake DeBrusque came streaking in from the line uh, from a line change to receive a bouncing pass from forward Jack Stanika and somehow got a backhanded goal for his eighth of the season. Uh, this goal for DeBrusque snaps an eight-game goalless streak and, in my opinion, is playing very well regardless of goal production. In that same Second period, Boston and Ottawa were tied at one when B's defenseman Brandon Carlo got the go-ahead goal at the 1854 mark, assisted by forward Charlie Coyle and defenseman Mike Riley. Carlo, who was already along the boards near the goal line, smartly curled in and went right to the net instead of just turning around and going right to the blue line for his defensive, um, you know, uh, responsibilities. Got to the net, and the puck got to him, and he put in a backhand goal. Um, and that was, I believe, I didn't write it down, what, what number goal that was. But uh, very well done by Brandon Carlo, regardless, and it was a 2-1 to one lead. The only goal in the third period and 2-2 two to two, uh, tying goal came from former B's defenseman Nick Holden, who uh, evened things up at 16.06 in the final frame. In the overtime period, just 2.42 into the extra session, Bruins forward David Pasternak would score the game winner and 25th of the season, assisted by forward Taylor Hall and defenseman Mike Riley, who earned his second apple of the game. Pasternak snapped a four-game goalless streak with the winner versus the Sens. Shots on goal in this game had the, at the Canadian Tire Center had the visiting Bruins end the game with a 33-31 shot advantage. 
Starting goaltender Jeremy Swayman got his 10th victory of the season, stopping 29 of 31. This was the third straight victory over the Senators this season, and the Bruins have outscored Ottawa 8 to 4. The next Atlantic Division game for these two clubs will be in Boston on April 14th this year. Thoughts on this game, Dom? Well, I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, I, I love the way Ottawa plays. They're a hardworking bunch. I think they're well coached and everything. But when that game went into overtime, I was worried they were going to lose. The Bruins were going to lose it. I really was. I thought, man, if if they lose this, it it's over, man. They'll still get in the playoffs, but don't do anything. And I was that worried about it. But I want to touch on Brandon Carlo because his goal, uh, I, I mean, you described, you described it perfectly, Mark. It, it just shows that he's got some offensive IQ. And, and again, the game against Colorado, I tweeted it out in the, after the first period and said, uh, lost in all the discussion uh, is that uh, Brandon Carlo in that period was more offensive than he was defensive. And it was probably one of his best offensive games we've seen him play. The way he was jumping into the play, uh, uh, you know, keeping plays alive, moving down the wall, everything. It was just awesome. But again, um, like I said about Taylor Hall, we need to see more of that. Um and he's got some capabilities. I, I can tell. Looking at Mark, he's good, or Kevin, he's going to disagree with me. <laughs> oh no, 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 not at all. I was actually going to say that if you didn't, I was going to talk about Brandon Carlo and how this was kind of a coming out party for him as far as um, his offensive abilities go. Well, yeah, I, I, I just think it was a perfect, an awesome first period by from him that shows that he's got some offensive ability. And it was, what, his fourth goal? Of the season? I, I think that was the number. Yeah, so uh, I'd, I'd like to see more of it because, you know, the Bruins are going to need him. Absolutely. I mean, um, one of the things, too, you were talking about, you know, just him being just old Carlo in a way, too, with an offensive yeah. flair. Uh, his pinches were great. I mean, just watching him work the boards and keep the puck in, uh, hemmed in was great, too. He just um, he just looked like he was engaged, and that's something we haven't been seeing from him late lately. And, um, you know, with this game overall, I just felt like if this was a better team, the Bruins would have lost this game. Um, yeah. It's just one of those games where – it's the same thing with the Islanders. I mean, they came out a bit more against this team. Um, this time you had a little bit more, a little bit more, I don't want to say pushback because they scored their two goals in the first period, which is something that unfortunately this team has been dealing with um, since the Pittsburgh game out of the all-star break. Um, yeah. They broke that. They broke it finally, but they hadn't scored outside of the first period for, I think it was like four or five games straight. It was just, um, it was rough to watch. And then you just see the pushback from the opposing team and it either be tied up or they lose the game. And I mean, that's what you were seeing again here. So it wasn't a complete 60 minute effort, but that overtime, the Bruins were dominant. They yeah. were absolutely dominant in that overtime. And, um, you know, Taylor Hall just 
set up Pasternak with a sweet pass and he just rifled one home. And you definitely want to see that because you want to see these two continue their chemistry. You want to see them continue to carry that second line together. Um, because if they continue to do that and they're able to figure out who to put with Martian and Bergeron, God, your top six is going to be beautiful. <laughs> yeah. That overtime for me, um, when Pasternak shot it just a split second before I'm like, please don't break your stick. Yeah. yeah, please don't break yeah. your stick. You know, it's pretty sad when you when you know these days with technology and everything like that, with carbon fiber and all that stuff, um, that you can't make these sticks stronger. But it, it's really it sucks that you have to think about that first because you see it so many times. But regardless, it's a good win. And um, you know, moving on to Monday, February twenty first, twenty twenty two, probably the game of the year in my opinion. Uh, the Boston Bruins return home to TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts after going 2-1-1 in the previous four-game road trip to host the Western Conference powerhouse Colorado Avalanche. Uh, the last time these two teams played each other was on January 26th when the Bruins goaltender Linus Allmark literally stood on his head but lost in overtime 4-3 on the road at the Ball Arena in Denver, Colorado. In the first period, forward David Pasternak got the game's first goal uh, at the 17:30 mark, uh, with his 26th goal assisted by forward Patrice Bergeron and defenseman Charlie McAvoy, moving to the second period and a two-to-nothing lead. Boston captain Patrice Bergeron scored his 13th of the season at the 8:01 mark, assisted by forward Taylor Hall and defenseman Matt Grizzlick. At the 14:35 mark of the middle frame, Bruins forward David Pasternak gets his second of the game and 27th of the season, assisted by forward Taylor Hall and defenseman Brandon Carlo. Finishing the second period scoring, Jake DeBras scored his ninth goal of the season at the 15:42 mark, assisted by forward Curtis Lazar and defenseman Charlie McAvoy. In the third period, would get the five-to-one lead and at, at the 4:04 mark with a power play goal from forward Charlie McAvoy, who scored his 12th. Good to see him scoring from forward David Pasternak and forward Taylor Hall. Shots on goal in this Bruins-Abs game had the home bees leading after the buzzer 45-29, to which is very good to see. Bruins starting goal 10 to Jeremy Swamey got his 11th win of the season, stopping 28-29 Avalanche shots. Jay Sway is now 11-7-0 with a 2.09 goals against average and a .925 save percentage and is currently on a three-game winning streak. Thoughts on that spectacular 60-minute full effort? We don't quit. What happened? Where was this team like so many so many times before? It, that, that's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Exactly. You want to, You want to start, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to put a damper on things, but to to be honest with you guys, I mean, I love the win. I'm happy with the win. Uh, I think the Bruins did, like you said, play a complete 60-minute effort there. Um, but I, I look at the 5-1 to one score, and what that tells me is that Colorado didn't want to play hockey. That's what it seemed like to me. Um, do, do, I think the Bruins still definitely could have won this game had, you know, uh, had uh, Colorado showed up to – you know, actually play that game because I just felt like they weren't really as engaged as you normally see that team be engaged. Um, how much of that has to do with them and how much of that has to do with how well the Bruins are playing? I don't know. But either way, it's it's a win. I'll give you the win. answer to that when you're done. 
Perfect. Uh, it's a solid win for the Bruins. I mean, this is one of the best teams in the league. Um, <clears throat> one thing I want to say is their their forecheck was unbelievable that game. Um, on one of the goals in, in particular, uh, the Jake DeBrus goal, the forecheck to keep it in at the blue line, and then the the heads up from Lazar to be able to find DeBrusque, uh alone in front of the net to get that squeaker. My God, that was a thing of beauty. That's something you want to see all the time. And it's just one of those situations where you just, you just need to see it consistently in order to kind of have me completely buy in on the team. Um, but they have two wins going now. And if they can string together four or five wins, I mean, you might have something there, Don, to work with. I've heard the argument that Colorado, how, how much of it is on Colorado. And I will admit they weren't at their best. But they weren't at their best because the Bruins wouldn't allow them to be at their best. And I'll tell you, I put the Florida Panthers in this too. Colorado can be beaten the, the same way Florida can be beaten. What, what we saw here is Bruce Cassidy and Chris Kelly and uh, Joe Sacco come up with a way to get on the defense because that's where you're going to beat Colorado and that's where you're going to beat Florida is to get on their defensemen uh, the, the way the Bruins did there. I mean, um, really, the Bruins should be 2-0 and against Colorado. Agreed. They should mm-hmm. be. Okay. Um, the way they dominated face-offs and were able to generate opportunities off of face-offs, because let's face it, Colorado's weak when it comes to draws. Um, they, they just laid out the perfect plan. The, the thing we saw Monday that we're not used to seeing is that, that the players went with the plan, but not only went with it, stuck with it for 60 minutes. Because I think if they can stick with it for 60 minutes, they can beat the Colorados. They can beat the Floridas. Uh, Tampa, to me, would be a different story, say, with, with uh, Carolina. But... The Leafs, they're another team you can put in there. You, if you figure out how to beat their defensemen, look at it this way. Colorado, Toronto, Florida, they like to beat you 6-5 to five or 7-5 to five or, right? They don't like these 2-1 to one games. And if you can limit their offense the way they did by, by getting in on the forecheck and knowing how to beat those defensemen, they can, they can hang with those big I think that was very well said, and I think it was um... – <laughs> Yeah, I think that that was great. It answered everything. I mean, because I was on the fence about that. How much of this was Colorado just not showing up and how much of it was actually the Bruins? But the way you lay it out, I mean, it makes sense. And it's kind of those those questions, too, are kind of warranted with how kind of up and down this team is, you know. So it's kind of when you see that happen, especially against a, um, you know, a team that's considered the best in the league, you think to yourself, like, did did the other team just not show up? What's going on here? But the way you explained it, I think uh, definitely works well. Um, and it, it, all, it all comes down to, Kevin, the, the will. We all know the Bergerons and the Marchands and, and uh, you know, the McAvoys and the Carlos that have been there for a while. They know what it takes. And come playoff time, they'll, they'll give it everything. But are they going to be able to drag to you guys like the Hollas and the Forberts and the it to say Felinos and and right. the no six with them and say you know this is what we've got to do. We've got to play for 60 minutes. Um, I don't know. 
uh, Craig Smith. Like the, the guy's working his ass off out there, but he just can't buy a goal. Yeah. If if you look up and down that lineup over over this stretch, he's probably been the hardest working player. Yeah. Oh, I agree with that. Right. So, you know, these are the leaders that are gonna have to drag everybody else with them and say, you know, we've got to do this for 60 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing there to disagree about. Um, I mean, I think the fourth line gets it. I think every single t- every single game, those guys are really on it, and that's something you want from your fourth line, you know, to bring the energy and <clears throat> kind of keep things going. Um, and then this new, I, I, I guess they've been your second line, but let's be real, it, it's probably going to be your third line, which is uh, I think what we saw today um, for the practice lineups is the Frederick – Coyle and um, Smith line. I'm excited to see that line continue gelling into into continue working. I think um, Frederick's benefiting very, very much from this line as as much as Coyle is too. And I think Smith, as soon as he finally gets that goal, it's going to be a floodgate. It's going to be a floodgate for him. I'll ask you guys. I don't know if you want to get into lineups later, Mark, but with DeBrus going up with Bergeron and Marchand, that now means you're putting Felino or Bleed on your fourth line left wing, right? Yeah. I I don't know whether they would scratch Felino. I honestly don't. But taking DeBrusque off that line with his speed and him being able to drive offense with that trio, you know, do you like it? You I know Mark's think? answer. I well. I like it a lot. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one thing right now. As I crack another one of these Bud Light seltzers, um, my 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 favorite part about this is not only are they point they're producing points minimal at the, at most, but it's the way that this line is cycling off the wall, mm-hmm. and and with with its it, urgency to get to the net and not cycling for cycling purposes, they're cycling the puck and they're getting to the net. Driving offense that way, that is just – that's what you want to see from your third line, second line, wherever they're at. Um, I just like the hard work. And, man, I, I was just – I was really amazed by that cycle against um, the the abs just on Monday afternoon, just watching them play, watching Smith work, watching Coyle, puck possession master and himself, just doing what he's got to do. And then having com- complementary players next to him that were doing the same thing, bought in – on that whole line to, to, you know, to finish a mission. And I thought that they did pretty good. But there's no argument about that third line, but I'm asking about the fourth line without the brusque, Mark. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought we, I, I'm going by the agenda and and kind of went off the drails there. Um, Yeah. The fourth line, I'm a big fan of Lazar. I really like the way his game is. I like the way he's just a heady player. It's not, you know, he, he throws the body around, finishes his checks really well. Uh, very complimentary uh, fourth line player, and um, to me, when you when you bring up that whole thing, it's it's so Bruins to play the to play the veteran and the guy that makes a lot of money, well, you know, three million whatever, um, over a guy like Bleed who's very hard to take out of the lineup, you know. And it, I mean, I know Bleed's going to be that thirteenth forward, whatever, and so on. But I, I would, 
I would rather go with the the younger guys that are actually getting it done and making a little more of impacts, which I, in my personal opinion, haven't seen that from Felino thus far. Fair yeah, enough. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, one thing I can say um, about Felino though, is that last game against Colorado, he looked engaged. He did look he did. good. I, I thought he looked really good out there. Um, that's not to say that I think that he deserves the slot over bleed. I, I, I'm with you. I think Bleed should be in there 100%. It's just he's earned it. He's been playing really hard. I mean, and, it, and it's not only just the way he's playing the game away from the puck. I mean, he's also getting on the score sheet. Um, he's contributing in all areas, especially on that fourth line. I think having Nosek there kind of is the reason why you're seeing a lot of this pretty pretty decent offensive output on your fourth line because <clears throat> he he's a gamer. He's got skill, um, and I think he's helping out Lazar. He's helping out Bleed. I think it, it's just it's just working really well. And to put Felino in there, of, of course I don't hate it because, I mean, I think Felino. I it's been disappointing. I, I won't I won't act like it hasn't been. But he's still responsible defensively. He's he's a good player that just. I don't know. I don't know if he's had any consistency since coming here to the Bruins when it comes to line mates and you know, injuries and this and that. I, I feel for the guy. I do. And I, I want to see him get another shot there and see what he can do with it. Uh, but if, if it gets to the point where he's just not doing anything for your team, you gotta, you gotta go ahead and go with bleed. Um, but as far as DeBrus being on that top line, um, he's playing his off wing where he hasn't had any success, but what else are you going to do? Are you going to put Felino there? I mean, you could bring up Seneshin. You could. Um, I, I was actually informed, um, I think it was yesterday, that um, you that Seneshin doesn't have to pass waivers if he doesn't play for ten games. Right. Um, yeah. So he has to he has to play under that. I mean, you could you could give that a look. I don't think they're going to though because they probably feel burned by him publicly asking for a um, a trade in the AHL at that. So they may not be looking that way to do that but i mean well i i i think it's a different situation than debrusque uh debrus agent confirmed i i don't know who leaked it but it was leaked intentionally debrusque was having a conversation with uh with mark diver and it came out it's not i don't think it was intentional uh uh on sanition's part to to give it to give it out because normally you have your agent do that right interesting so, um i here here's my theory i think yeah they're they're a bit upset about the trade request but um how long's the road trip mark what six how, games i believe is it six games um days? jesus i got it oh, I got yeah it. It is six. Yeah. So here, here you have a player that's asked for a trade. You're, you're going to call him up for the road trip and probably not put him in. I mean, who who are you going to take out to put Sineshin in? So he'd be sitting up on the ninth floor, whatever floor, whatever arena they're in, uh, not playing. Whereas... Mm-hmm. In two weeks, he would get six games in Providence and hopefully build up uh, some trade value because, like Zaboral, he's a Group Six unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. So 
He could just walk. So either play him in Providence and let him get some some interest in him, even if it's a seventh-round pick, as opposed to going on a two-week road trip and sitting up in the press box watching. Yeah, absolutely. That's another reason too. I mean, who, who are you going to uh, take out? I mean, because you already—it's already looking like you're going to have to take out Bleed, and that's something you don't want to do. Right. Um, you, you're not taking out Felino. You're not taking out DeBrus to put in Senishin. Um It's that's that's why I think you know I, I I remember I made a tweet about this. You know, saying my take is that they're going to put DeBrusque up there on the first line. I mean, not not only because he's kind of the only option they have, but more. Also, because he's kind of earned it the past couple of games. Yeah. I mean, it may be on his off wing, but you can just try it and see what happens. Okay, but here's here's the difference. And I, I know I can see Mark smiling. He's going to agree with me. <laughs> Playing right wing with David Krejci and whoever on left wing versus playing right wing with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. Where is he going to have the most success? That's why I'm okay with it. But did he ever play right wing next to Krejci? Yes, I'm he not... did. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Because I, mean, I remember I remember going back to last season, they were giving him right wing on the um, on the third line at times. Um, and sometimes on the second. Yeah, you're right. He ended on the second. Yep. Yeah. Because right. with, with Marshan and Bergeron, the way they play, DeBrusque is going to end up on the left side in the offensive zone 90% of the time anyway. So the way those two play, it doesn't matter. Right. Danton Heinen went up there and played and had success. Uh, About the only person who hasn't is Craig. I mean, he started out well, Craig Smith, but went cold. That's true. All right. I, I have one question to pose before we move on to the next topic for both of you. Let's say DeBrusque goes up there and we see 27 goal DeBrusque playing alongside those two. And Sweeney goes to him and says, hey, we like what we're seeing. We want to stick with you with these guys moving forward. Um, Do you think he recants that uh, trade request and is just happy and thrilled that he's now getting the minutes he wants, he's producing the way he wants, and maybe he wants to stick around? It's a tough one for me, to be honest with you, because it almost seems like it's a player coach thing. And if he's, if he's, if Cassidy's going to continue to coach this team, I'm not sure if Jake wants a part of that because of what happened in the past. If there was any animosity, air quotes, animosity about between the player and the coach. Um, but no matter what, I'm, I'm more or less very impressed on Jake's attitude, to be honest with you. And you can see how it reflects when he's like in pregame skates, very engaged with the fans, loves Boston, loves doing all this stuff, you know. And it's not like he's a sulking player that's like, you know, out there and just like miserable and, oh, I want to get moved as soon as possible. He's being very professional about that. And that's the best part about this. And if anything, that's the type of stuff that increases uh, trade value in, in in a small small increment, you know that's character building right there for another team to look at and say, yeah, we we might want to take a guy a chance on this guy, and then you know, um, you know, see what happens with his arbitration rights after after the season is over. But um, I just like the way he's playing. I've always been a huge fan of DeBrusque, but 
I I don't like when you, when you see him struggling and so on because it's tough. And you don't like it to see anybody struggling. You want to see them always do the best, you know. But we'll see what happens. But you know, sooner or later they're gonna have to figure out what's going on the right side and who's gonna be there. Which is the next topic, and I'm, I'm sure we covered a lot of it, but. Is there a preferred player that you want to see up there working with, um, with Bergeron and Marchand when we all get back together? Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, and real quick to touch on that, the the um, DeBrus trade value also goes up too if he proves that he can be a versatile winger and play both sides. Right. So there's that too. But yeah, I mean, now outside of the organization, I want to see a pure shooter right winger who can step in and just just score goals for that line you know be be a be a goal scorer what they wanted to do with smith there um inside the organization they're doing it with debrusca that's who i wanted to see there um when it all came out so i think i'm pretty happy for right now we'll see what they end up doing uh if anything when it comes to addressing that line i'll uh I'll, i'm gonna agree with kevin there i i there's nothing in house, you know. Maybe when they get, maybe after trade deadline, if Zaxanishin is still here, where they don't have a 23 man roster limit, uh, they can bring him up and give him a game or two there. But you know, Froden's not the answer. I there's there's no answer in house. Who they can go get, I don't know. Uh, but to touch on on DeBrusque value really quickly. I, I I think Kevin nailed that too, but I can't say what goes on in the dressing room, uh, what, what the issues are. Uh, none of us really can, but I can assure you that Bruce Cassidy and Jake DeBrusque have a good relationship outside the ring. If, they, if there's issues in the dressing room, uh, they're going to have issues outside. I, I know over, over the Christmas break, that uh, Bruce touched bases with him, make sure he was okay. He even had Patrice Bergeron touch base with him uh, to make sure he was okay. So I know there's no issues off the ice. I can't speak for inside the dressing room. Trades, like, I mean, you guys are all aware that the Phil Kessel's name keeps popping up. <laughs> I don't know. You don't, want, want, you don't do want, want any Phil the Thrill hot dogs in your no. life? <laughs> I saw somebody say something about, you know, maybe they should go, if they get Kessel, they should go out and get Sagan too and have Hall, Kessel, and Sagan on the same line. Jesus. <laughs> Crazy. I saw that on Twitter this morning. Well, I mean, when, when it comes to Phil Kessel, though, I mean, if it's at the rumored asking price of a mid-round pick with 50% retained, how do you say no? I mean, what was still- it, third-round pick? Third or fourth, that would be a mid-round yeah. pick. So, I mean, plus 50% retained. You could throw up one of Boston's many not going to make it to the NHL prospects in there with it to kind of sweeten it if you want. I mean, it's like if that's what it takes and, and he says, yeah, I'll go to Boston, I mean, I think you're crazy to, if you're Don Sweeney and you don't at least take a look at that. I mean, that's a guy who could step in and – I think play with Bergeron and Marchand. He may not be there defensively as good as those guys are, but both of them can make up for that easily. I mean, they were easily. doing it for Pasenak for how many years? So 
I, I don't know. I just think it could be a good fit, um, especially at the price. It's one of those types of rentals where you're not giving up the farm for it. It's kind of like one of those Mike Riley type of, you know, type of pickups or a, um, um, I mean, you can go further down the line. There's been other guys um, that they've got for mid round picks and stuff like that. But I don't know. I just think it's, it, it could be a good fit. Obviously there's players I'd want to see there before that. I mean, like if Raquel is someone who is, um, uh, who is available, that, that'd be, something really good to look at, but I don't know. When you, when you talk about Phil Kessel and, and being a rental, I'm looking at it from Phil's eyes. Okay. If you looked at, if you look at this, um, let me put this up. Cause I did save this. Um, Cause it is from the uh, David Pagnota tweet uh, tweet. I'm, and I'm not going to, sorry. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to uh, mention uh, where this information came from, but it's a, just another website. But uh, he says that the Boston Bruins is one of the teams possible for a trade. I know it's been 13 years since Kessel played a game with the Boston, and since then Kessel has won two Stanley Cups, through with both with Pittsburgh Penguins. Now he's after a third one, and the Boston Bruins could be the team to get him that. So let's think of it uh, from. Um, I just wanted to say fill the throw so bad. I know. I look at that. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's look at it from him. Like it's. Is is Phil Kessel saying, "Yeah, Boston's man. They're they're on a on a heater, and they're going to win this year. I need to go there." No, I don't believe so. I think he's going to want to go to a a team that's going to be higher in the standings, a little more established, and um, you know, to to be that rental. Now, if it, if it was for term, you know, he's mid thirties and so on. It's a little risky, but I don't know. I, I but he'd also look at it and say. Can I make enough of a difference there? What else What else are the Bruins going to do? Because those top teams, not many can afford – what's his cap hit? Um, right now, 6.8. Yeah, so he, he's going to come at a $3.4 million cap hit with 50% retained. Um, the Bruins, who are in probably the best shape, well, next to the Rangers in Nashville, can oh, add – can add a, a $5 million cap hit. So, so it wouldn't lead the need, give them a lot of room uh, if they were to take it off, but then you could, you could move. It could speed up the process to move Jake DeBrusque. And there you gain some, some cap relief because where are you going to put Jake then? If you get Kessel. That's right. the issue. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good thought. Um, and on how the uh, the shuffle will happen downward, you know, it's it's, it's you, a trickling effect. Yeah, I, I mean, if you made that move right now, obviously you'd need to put bleed on waivers to go down to province because you can't, you couldn't be, you wouldn't be able to keep him around. Right. And right. I, I I assume it'd be either Frederick or um, or Felino coming out of the lineup at that point. Um, I mean, for me, I'd, I'd want it to be Felino, obviously, um, and keep Frederick in there because he's been doing what he's been doing. But I, I have a feeling that the Bruins would probably do Frederick would be going out, which means you'd now have a third line of DeBrusque and Coyle and Smith, which definitely is not a bad line either. Um, so it's um, it, it would be interesting. I mean, and then do they go out and get a 2C? You know, do they go out and get another top four defenseman? Do you know what? What are they? They have to. They have to defenseman for sure. They absolutely have to. 
Yep. Yeah. Uh, now, on both fronts, or just or just the defense? No. I. You know, I. I used to think that center number two center was my top priority, um, but the last couple of weeks, uh, I've swung over to uh, a left side top four defenseman. Love it. I've been there, there for a while. It's fun place to be. Don't yeah. welcome. <laughs> I blame you, Kevin. <laughs> Makes me wonder why Don Sweeney was in Seattle last night watching the game. And hopefully it wasn't to scout Zidane Chara, more uh, scouting a player no, like Vince Dunn. I think, I think he's just looking at the team in preparation. You know, they're, they're, they're playing tomorrow night, and he was – I mean, he doesn't have to buy a ticket. He just walks in and says, <laughs> here, I'm Don Sweeney. I want to watch the game. Right. I don't think he was there doing any scouting. Well, hopefully he kind of was doing some mental scouting because, uh, you know, it'd be nice to get a piece from there, you know, because they're, I'll tell you, they're selling. Yeah, I'll tell you the guy I want. Are we going? Are we touching on this at some point later, Mark? Because I can wait. What's that? Uh, a potential target. Um, we do have something in the Ask BNGs that we're going to do shortly. Okay, let's save it till then. Okay. All right. All right, so let's move on to the next topic. It's Jeremy Swayman. Obviously, he went down for a little bit, um, you know, and there were some tough times for him personally to sit there across the table from Don Sweeney and hear that. But what you really love to hear from Jeremy Swayman was as soon as somebody goes down, that's my net, right? And that is just – that's exactly what you want to hear from a, a young goaltender who's, you know – obviously proven that he can play the game at this level and was certainly happy to have him. What was the transformation from him before the Providence time to what we're seeing now? Because Kevin's seen it. I've seen it. Dom, I'm not sure about you because we don't, uh, I mean, I talked to you on Twitter, but we're not all on the same thread and I'm not feeling what you're feeling, but are we seeing a different Jeremy Swayman because of the fact is that he went down to Providence to learn and worked with, I, I know goalie Bob is, is always the one that's always being talked about, but more or less Mike Dunham is, doesn't get his fair share of, uh, of, of praise. It's he really does. absolutely with you. It's the two of them. Um, Dunham works more with the, with the, uh, with the prospects and and Bob works more with the with the pros, uh, but they're both involved. Now he didn't have to necessarily do all his work in Providence. I mean, Bob works with them at practices. They they watch video and say this is what you should have done in this situation or this way. I I think the thing that has improved the most, and I'm sure you guys will agree with me, is his rebound control. Yep. Because yep. there were times it was bad at the at the beginning of the year. Yep. But the ability for the coaches to work with him on that and the ability for him to fix it as quick as he has done it is what surprises me the most. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. His rebound control right now is almost spotless. And that's where possibly him being sent down to the AHL for the, I believe three weeks that he was there. That's where some of that might be coming from too. I mean, working with goalie, but like you said, you actually said it's the the both of them, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing it. I mean, that want to stay and the work he's put in, it's all paying off. 
And I know it sucks going down, but by no means is going is a player on an entry level contract, which he's in his final year, is going to be ruined. You know I, that no. that whole narrative drives me absolutely crazy. What are you doing sending him down? Demotions are terrible. It's like that's not how it works. Proof, right, Mark? Exactly. He's proof. absolutely living works. proof. Exactly. So you know, it's it's. I just hope that people can like gather this in and just understand that it's not a bad thing. Now, if you think about a player like Chris Chris Wagner, who's a very popular player around here, the mayor of uh, Weymouth or whatever, a uh, Walpole. Walpole, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's two mayors in Boston. There's the Coyle and, and this this um, Wagner, but that was that's something that I'm not sure if Wagner's ever going to be back to be a Boston Bruin because I haven't really seen a lot of, I mean, he does add a valuable amount of uh, leadership down in Providence. Uh, he's just a, an extension of, um, of Ryan Mujanel's freaking coaching staff, basically him, him, Josiah, Josiah Didier and uh, Stephen Fogarty. Those guys are really the, the, the middle points of yeah. getting a message from the coaching staff, Ryan Mujanel, Trent Whitfield and Matt Walsh down to the players that need to hear it and in a more relatable voice. Yeah. And, you know, I just don't see enough of Wagner's game that he's going to make that rise again. Now that's no. the narrative. And there's nothing wrong with that pro hockey at all levels is good hockey. And, and, and kudos to anybody who's in their thirties and still playing at this, at, at the AHL level or the, or the coast. That's the type of thing. That's the narrative that you need. It's like he wasn't doing it at the NHL level that the Boston Bruins were really wanted to see. So they had to put him down. The The, the whole Jeremy Swayman thing is just like he go, he's going down to learn more. It's not a detriment to his career. And it's just so tough to hear people say that, that, you know, working with coaches and, 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 and you know, special uh, advisors and all this stuff is not good for anybody's career. You need to be in the NHL as soon as possible and all the time. It's just it drives me nuts to uh, to find that. But no, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. It no. doesn't work that way. Uh, every player, unless you're uh, a Connor McDavid, uh, that elite type player, should spend some time in the American Hockey League. Yeah, just my my belief. It, I mean, it would it would take an asteroid hit in the Boston Bruins locker room for Chris Wagner to get back on this team, in my opinion. I mean, there's just yeah. too much, there's too much in front of him that is just doing. Look, better. the only two, the only two guys he could take out is Curtis Lazar or Thomas Nosek. Not happening. Yeah, and it's not happening. No, and and I'll tell you something right now. You, you know, I I cover the Providence Bruins on the regular. Zach Senishin is playing good. Yes, he is. He's got the stride. He's got the speed. He's got the hands and everything. But to me, he's not playing at a level that screams that the Boston Bruins need to get him in the lineup. Not even for a look, as in like for trade value. Because right now, the Boston Bruins are sitting in, in the second wild card spot fighting for the playoff lives. Yep. This isn't the time, in my opinion, to come up and showcase somebody. Well, you know? But, Mark, the, the thing with Zach Senishin is, He's been in the AHL for five years. That's you, true. You, you don't bring that guy up to showcase because I guarantee you every professional scout in the NHL has a book on Zach Sinitian. That's right. These guys aren't dummies. They do this for a living. They have to have a book on every player. And they've got five years worth on Zach Sinitian. Absolutely. There's yeah. no showcasing him. 
No, and I'm still holding my breath on that whole trade thing too. By the way, <laughs> well, I, think, I think it's going to happen. Coming. I think it's going to happen. The timing was a little off. <laughs> you know, you know who my buddy is in St. Louis, so I, <laughs> I, I, I won't say anything for look. Like people ask me all the time. I'm sure you get asked all the time. Uh, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on. And I refuse to answer anybody anymore when it comes to trades because a couple of years ago, I broke the Braden Shed news, right, that the Bruins were after him. I even knew the players that were involved. I had St. Louis Blues fans come after me. I had Boston Bruins fans come after me. Uh, it didn't happen, didn't happen. Well, it wasn't until a couple of months later when Elliot Friedman broke the news in an interview with Braden Shen that he went to bed that night thinking was he was going to be a Boston Bruin. Did anybody believe it? But did I get an apology? No. No, not a one. I didn't even. Yeah. You know, and this went on for weeks. So now they ask me, I said, I don't know. This business is so cutthroat. It's so, so it cutthroat. Like, I mean, I was going to say free agent frenzy an hour before the Bruins signed or opened up. I had three of the four names that the Bruins, that the Bruins were signing with contract details. I sold it. I, I showed somebody the text and said, here's what the Bruins are doing. It's like, and all I do is get shit on. Now they want to ask me um, trade information. No, go for, wait till it happens. Yeah, right. If I tell you they're talking about it and it doesn't happen, I get shit on. All right. So, Don, let me ask you this then. What? What's going on with trades? I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. Man of his words. I'm telling you. Man of the people. No idea. All right. We'll talk later. Okay. All right. Let's move on to somebody that does trade sometimes and sometimes doesn't trade. But my question is, and I threw this one in here because I'm kind of concerned on what what the panel is going to feel about Don Sweeney. He's coming into his – he is in his last year of his contract right now. Uh, big evaluation uh, from ownership this season. Um, I know that, the you know, obviously when any NHL team starts this season, the Stanley Cup is the pinnacle of the, the, the goals that need to be reached. But uh, realistically, I do not see that goal being – uh, reached this year un- unless some miracle absolutely happens and they go on a heater for like the next 30 games and and we're in like Flynn but I will say that I don't know it doesn't work if it's a good idea to bring him back and and I know that I'm on you know the the train of every you know I'm not I'm not a hater I don't hate Sweeney I don't hate him for what he did I, I believe everybody makes mistakes and there's a there's a time to recover and I think that he done he's done a lot better than 2015 let's put it that way but do you see him coming back after what could be a missed playoff year or a first round exit I see him coming back is that coming back okay yeah. I see him coming back too. Here's the thing. I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs. And and you look at the Leafs right now, have only won two of their last seven games. And uh, Jake Muzzin going on long-term injury reserve today. That's uh, that team's going to be in a world of hurt. Jack Campbell is no longer Jack Campbell. He's come back down to earth. Um, oh, and he's in a contract yet too. Yeah. So oh. 
Um, they're probably going after Sherratt then. I think, I think Sweetie will be judged on two things this season. Uh, when when it comes to reviewing um, him for next season, trade deadline, what he does to to help the team not only for this year but the future. Trade deadline and how lucky he gets in college free agent signings. Oh shit! You know what? I didn't even think of that. That's right, because that's coming up soon. Yeah, What's that? What? The end is it like the middle of March, end of middle March, of, Tom. Middle of March. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, little birdie just landed here and told me that there's a couple of guys that uh, uh, that they're in they're going to be in hot pursuit over, and you know it. We're not talking first liners, guys. Guys that can fit the the middle six, contribute offensively a little bit. You know, you need those type of players too. You don't need superstars all through your lineup because you'll never keep them all under the cap. So try explaining that to Bruins fans. You can. That's. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that you guys can. I think those are the two things he's going to be judged on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, anything could happen. Is still a lot of time to go. I see the expectations a little high for what the roster has turned out so far. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not knocking any of his free agent signings at all over the offseason. I thought they were more lateral moves um, above anything. Nothing that really blew me away. But what I did see is when these the all all of these players, except for Allmark, Allmark's been there for, for pretty much the whole season. So let's narrow it down to like the three the three forwards and Nosek and, and Felino and um and Hala. You know, obviously, no second Hall have panned out. Felino's still on the on the fringe for me, um, but it wasn't. It, you know, if I if I honestly believe that they were going after one big player, one big move would have been made. But they made uh, a, a couple, and they addressed a couple needs, and they did it with addressing forwards that have versatility. And I think that the the trend of getting versatile players lately is just like you know, if it's not working here, we have ability to shuffle things around and I'm not just dealing with a one-dimensional forward which creates which creates a a better option for Bruce Cassidy and so on but it, these weren't moves that were really blew me away to say that this was a cup team but I will say that once Bruce Cassidy did make those changes after the the holiday break and so on those players really stood up but in particular Halla Halla's play after he got sat took the message really played well and moved his way up the lineup to the second line, which was like straight up wood for freaking, you know, Kevin over here. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that, that all started too for Halla when he was playing on the left wing with Charlie Coyle and uh, Craig Smith. That yeah. line was good. That line, honestly, is better than the Frederick Coyle and Smith line we're seeing now. That line was really, really good. I love that And that's line. why I wanted a second line center all that time. You know, though, Dom, there may be a way to still make something like that happen, but I'm sure we'll get into all of that um, in the Ask B&G portion of this uh, podcast. Absolutely. Uh, let's blast right through these um, until we get to the Ask B&Gs. We do have about eight of them. Um, one of our new writers, Joe Todd, wrote an article uh, last night the the title crucified him immediately. If you took the time to read the article and figure it out, it kind of made sense to me. Might not make sense to everybody else, but boy, did the internet hate it. 
But uh, blackandgoldhockey.com's uh, new writer, Joe Todd, talks about the possibility of Bergeron retiring whenever that happens, whether it be after this year or after one more year of, um, of service. But he suggests that the Bruins should trade Brad Marchand if Bergeron retires. Now, the reason why I find it intriguing is, and you guys know, you you guys look at all levels of the Boston Bruins organization when it comes to this to this team, and you see that the prospect pool is pretty, I mean, Ryan Mujanel and Trent McField and Matt Thomas, they're all doing really good jobs with what they have. But this Boston Bruins team needs a lot more. And if we don't have that anymore with Bergeron, Marshan is your next best player that you're able to move to get anything back, in my opinion. Uh, and I'm talking about younger assets. I mean, he's still got term. I don't have Cap Friendly up here, but I think he's still three got years. three years. That's of huge value to another team. And I don't care how many people say, oh, he's, he's hated everywhere, blah, blah, blah. He is not hated on 31 other teams. I guarantee you that. No. So. It kind of brings up an interesting point. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna poo-poo on the article idea or the or the or the or the title and so on. I read the article and I was like, you know what, I wouldn't do it, but you know what? It kind of addresses a certain need for the future. Yeah, I mean I read the article as well, and it's um it was a good article. It was. It was well written. I think he got his point across. He, you know, gave his opinion on exactly what he wanted to see. And you can't crap on someone for doing that because he he, he did a good job at getting it out. He there. made a good argument for it. He sure did. He sure did. Now, personally, I wouldn't do it, like Marcus said, because I don't think this team is um, doomed to have to go through a long rebuild or anything like that. They just really need to share up that center depth. I mean, you have, you have pieces there. Um, maybe not in the pipeline for center, but I mean, you can figure out a way to go outside the organization to kind of fill in those gaps. Um, you know, it might take a couple of years, but you can do it and Marshan would still be there for it. But I mean, the whole premise of it was to tank for, um, I believe it was Bedard, which you won't, I mean, tank, you won't yeah. tank far enough for. Him. That's what I, that's what I said. I, I said, you're not going to be able to tank far enough. You a, even with getting rid of, uh, Marshan and maybe a couple of other, um, you know, guys like a Felino, a Smith, a Holly, you know, and stuff like that. You're still not going to be worse than Buffalo. You're still not going to be worse than Arizona. It's not no, going to happen. Wayman alone is going to win win you more games than yeah. than Arizona is going to win as a team. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I mean, I I understand the premise and where he was coming from, Mark. Personally, I would trade him to Toronto so there would be thirty two million less haters of Brad Marchand out there. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I kill uh, myself. Or, or Montreal, thirty two million and one. Yeah, uh, but you know, I I just look at what Marshan does with the kids during you know development camp. He shows up there, he works out with them and stuff. The type of leadership that that he brings. I look at the prospect pool like this. Like like I have always said, you know, you can't build a team of twenty superstars. You need to fill in line by line. So. If I look at the center position, Brett Harrison tops out as a second-line center. Agreed. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, Jack Stadnika right now tops out as a third-line center. John Agreed. Beecher is a fourth-line center. 
you still got Trent Frederick there who can play the middle. But I think he's doing so well at the wing, they may want to develop him there. So really, in the next couple of years, you, you've got three quarters of your centers built. You need that number one center. I don't have to tell you because I know you know, Mark, but the Vancouver Giants have been using uh, Fabian Lysel down the middle lately. Stop, yep. um, I love this. Keep going. Okay. Now, I don't know whether that came down from the Bruins or not, but Adam McQuay, Jamie Langenbrunner, they're there. Um, you know, Brett Harrison talked to you and I, Mark, uh, during that podcast about how Lang and Bruner and McQuaid were supposed to go see him, uh, but COVID screwed that up, right? Yeah. Yep. So we we know that that the Bruins development staff are talking to his coaches in Vancouver. They're talking to him. Whether it was something that came down from the Bruins, we can only guess. Well, I'll tell you something right now, Dom. If you, if you, if you want to elaborate on this, you're, you're free to do so. But if not, it, don't don't put yourself out there. But you and I know that the Vancouver Giants also didn't make a move when they could have. Right. So the Boston Bruins could have a very good influence on what is happening out there in Vancouver, but just by just by talking to each other and seeing what's going on because. Vancouver, right now, I wrote an article uh, over the weekend about Fabian Lysel and having an outstanding weekend up in Cam Loops. And I don't remember the numbers that he had, but they were good. And, you know, an overtime winner and so on was it's just amazing. His speed and his skill, I mean, it, it's just it's so fun to watch. The Vancouver, are they going to make the playoffs? They could. But I think, I think they will. I think yeah, I mean, they're going to be a bottom, bottom end up team and yeah. so on, you know, because I believe that they're uh, 10 points ahead of Tri-City or something like that. You know, they could have moved them. They could have moved Fabian to a team they, that, that. In the hall, but they yeah, didn't. Right, exactly. So. And I, I'm not going to say w- whether there was involvement in there or not, but I will tell you this, and a lot of people probably don't know this, and I, I don't know if you're aware of this, Mark. But Fabian Lysel's general manager in Vancouver with the Giants works for, are you ready for this? Fabian Lysel's agent. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Oh, boy. I did not his, know that. His GM works for the, the, the agent that represents him. So there you go. And... And the other thing we should note, too, is Scott Bradley, special advisor to the general manager, lives in the lower mainland in Vancouver. Easy scouting. Easy scouting. Absolutely. So everybody can just put two and two together. Even in my inventory math, that makes sense to me. Yeah. (laughs) So did you know, Kevin? No, but you guys said a lot of stuff there, and I enjoyed every bit of it. I was sitting there listening, listening, listening. But the second you said they were trying LaSalle out at center, I, I kind of went to la-la land. But um, oh, No, 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 Kevin. They're not trying him out at center. Okay. No, he's, he's playing the left and the right. Okay. They used him down the middle as well. Yeah, but he's also taking draws. And a lot yeah, of the games okay. that I've seen is because he's getting waved, uh, the centerman's getting waved out. 
Okay, okay. I thought I thought but, what he was alluding to was that they were seeing if they could kind of convert him to a center. No, but yeah. there's a couple there's a couple of shifts that he started in the in the middle in the right. last right. Know, three or four games, Mark. Yeah, it's not consecutive. It's just more or less as like let's see what he you know. Yeah. I think it's the tactics, believe it or not. If 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 they want if Vancouver wants to win a faceoff in a certain zone and it's in you know it's important the way things are drawn up, the way it's practiced. Then they'll go to him because I mean, he, and he's doing well. Yeah, I mean, the last time I knew he was 40, 30 or thirty eight and forty nine. Yeah, in the faceoff dot, and that was in seven games. Now, previously, the twenty some odd before that, you seven you see yeah, exactly. He's it's already, you, it's already better than Coil. I mean, so. <laughs> I like Coyle. I'm not. I, I'm not crapping on him. No, I know. I, I know. Just, he's just not good at the dot. I mean, we know that. But I mean, he can be good at the dot. We've seen it a few times. But usually, right. he's below fifty. But it, he's in the forties. It is funny when I when I was tweeting about it. I'm like, wow, that's weird. It's like Fabian Lessell is five for five in the dot, and then Dawn picked up on it, and then he started tracking it, and then he tweeted it out. He's like, wow, that's interesting. Look at this. You know, blah blah blah. I was like, see. <laughs> Well, I mean, whoever to whoever it matters, if you're listening, try to convert him to center. That would say, that, that would be great. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> be, I mean, I know it's hard to do at this stage. I mean, it's probably not. It's not a thing, but I mean, right. It'd, it'd be cool to. It's it's cool to fantasize about if all of a sudden I know where that just happened. I've 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 talked to Dom um, previously on this podcast, and he's told me several times that. It's easy for a center to go to the wing. It's harder to, 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 to transition from a wing to a center. Yeah, especially at this oh, yeah. stage. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, let's bring up another topic. And and Dom actually talked about this earlier. And I'm going to throw this up there because it is from a dear friend of Dom's. So let's throw this right up here. New England Hockey Journal's Kurt Ludecki. Um, wrote an article about just because a team can be active at the trade deadline doesn't mean they should. Kurt Ludecki looks into the current state of the Bruins and weighing in on why staying out of the inflated market could be the best strategy. Mr. Dom, my friend, let's get your thoughts on this because I know you alluded it alluded to it. Do you think that this team can actually go for a cup or those expectations way too high that staying pat and keeping everything like you said earlier keeping your prospect keeping your assets do you think that that is a, the best idea i think that's the best idea because i can't find any way where they don't have to go through tampa or carolina i i think they could give Florida a good run. I think they could give Toronto a good run. Um, I think they could give Pittsburgh a good run. And I think they could give Washington a good run. Uh, who am I missing? One more um, oh, the Rangers. Yeah. I think I think they could give the Rangers a run. I just can't see any way they're getting past Carolina or Tampa. Unless they blow everything apart and find a center and find a number one left shot D. And I just told Sia, Mark, the prices would be 
just way too high. Way, way too high. One name that's that is is out there uh, on rumors, Hampus Lindholm out of out of Anaheim. And I'll tell you, Pat Verbeek right now is probably the general manager that's sitting in his chair and going, Yeah, guys, bring it on. Because here's a guy who's his team is in a playoff spot, uh, who could wait. 20, what is it, 27 days, 28 days to trade yep. deadline? Just under a month. I I don't have I don't have to do anything for 28 days. Keep the bids coming, boys. And if a team really, really wants them, they're really gonna have to overpay to get him before that. Yep. And he's gotta be salivating at the mouth. Uh I'm sure he's getting phone calls already. But yeah. He he does he find me a GM in a position like that, like Pat Verbeek is, and I think one of the best things, Dom, for Pat Verbeek just slid right into that GM position yeah. is because one of the reasons, um, well, it's not the reason. The the Anaheim Ducks have a, a tremendous prospect pool. Yep, yeah. and, and yeah. he's just that's that's probably why you're talking about him going right to the eleventh hour. And just pulling the perfect trade off and not being worried about it. You're yeah. in the playoffs. You have a decent prospect pool, and your future for the next two or three, maybe even five years, is pretty much laid out from you yeah. internally. So if you were, you know, he could wait, 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 and if Anaheim starts to fall, pull the trigger. But if Anaheim keeps winning and winning and increasing their their um their playoff you know um, positioning like exactly you know and very smart for a rookie GM to come right in you know that's that's a no brainer um and yeah I'm I'm totally totally impressed with what's going on with the uh, the prospects in in Anaheim and how they've been managed and so on um, just think and, what he could add what he could add to that pool already yep. just by playing. Either playing the waiting game or having a team like, let's say, Pittsburgh come at you right now and say, listen, we'll give you our next two first-round picks for them uh, or or something. But, you know, there, there's a name that's really, really interesting. I, I, a, a trade can do wonders for a team, but one trade, despite how good Calgary's been lately, one player coming in isn't going to make – that big of a difference right you know uh, i'm talking about the acquisition of Toffoli there but the bruins can't bring in one player and all of a sudden compete with carolina or tampa no it's got to be multiple assets it's, it has to be a defenseman it's got to be a forward or and you're a big morning brew guy um uh, like myself with uh, billy jaffe and, and andrew raycroft and uh producer rsc those guys, I, I've always, uh, I mean, Raycroft's been um, pretty, pretty much on the board too, along with Jaffe saying that. I know Jaffe was like, "We need a forward and a defenseman," but now he's kind of backed down a little bit and said, "This Boston Bruins team could need two defensemen to be a real, you know, competitor in the uh, in the Boston Bruins uh, in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs." Sorry. Yeah. One of these pieces yeah, has even, to be significant too. Yeah, and it's not even the Stanley Cup. It, we're talking Eastern Conference final here. We're not even talking the Stanley Cup final. Right. You know, they're, they're more than one piece away from, from getting to the Stanley Cup final. 
so to me, why give up the assets? Like I said, they they built their middle six, their bottom four or bottom three up front. Why sells trending in the right direction? Let's hope that the rest of them do. You know what I think of that other kid from from Sweden, Mark? Oh, Oscar Jelovic. Yeah, wait until he comes over next year. You know, so they build that. They they need that top tier. They already have Pasternak there. They have Marchand for a few more years. You know, you've got Carlo. You've got McAvoy locked up. You've got to fix that defense, man. Zabora mm-hmm. um, looked great when he come up. Yeah, that was, such a, that was heartbreaking. Back nine, it looks, looks good right now, but he, He's hurt. You don't know what's going on with him. Uh, Mason Laura is going to, I think he's another year away anyway, but he's going to be a top, <laughs> a top pairing left shot defenseman. So when you're talking to forwards, they got to find that elusive top guy. And when you're talking on defense, you got to, you got to fix that left side after Laura. You got to balance it. If, if they're trading assets, they're just not going to be able to do it. You know, I'm sure. sure before the draft, we'll have a, well, we, you know, we can have a podcast on on just the draft, Mark. But I'm, I'm in. There, there is some really, really good. Can I throw a name at you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Cool. You could throw shit at me right now, and I'd be happy about it. <laughs> Lucas Edmonds Jeez. from Ooh. the K- Kingston Frontenax. That's a name I've heard. Uh, out of out of the OHL. Okay. He's 21 years old. You can't sign him as a free agent because his, this is his fourth draft. His first three, his first three drafts were uh, he was playing in Europe, so he's considered a European. Well, a European can't enter the NHL unless he's been drafted. So he's 21 years old and still draft eligible. And everybody's like, oh, Dom, he's a byproduct of, uh, of Shane Wright. No, he's not. You don't even play on the same line, man. Like, <laughs> watch the games. <laughs> the only time they see the ice together is uh, is on the power play. And, don't, you know, don't you know it's on the assist flow downhill too? <laughs> yeah, like, seriously, Mark, you get you get CHL TV. Absolutely. Catch a Kingston game once, and you tell me. Now he's ranked. I'm going off the top of my head. 107th among North American skaters. Okay, so if you add in Europeans and goaltenders, you're looking at the 180 to 200 mark. There's a chance this kid doesn't get drafted. Wow, for the fifth time. But you know what? If I was putting up my list, he's top 10 out of the OHL right now. There's some really, really good hockey players out there. The the lost OHL season last year, Last year, heard it for the OHL kids. Yeah. I'm not just talking OHL. They're around the world. Some really, really good hockey players. You know, it's and it's a deep draft. There's no way Don Sweeney can trade his first-round pick this year. If you want a long-shot number one center, Danny Zilkin from the Guelph Storm. Nice. Right around where the Bruins are picking. Interesting. Very interesting. I mean, and then w- when you look at it too, uh, they got Bergeron in the second in the second round. They got Krejci yep. in the second round. They got Martian in the third round. So these picks are valuable. Um, you know, even if you're picking in the late 
part of the first round, there's still a chance that you're going to be able to hit on a guy who can step especially in and be a first line center. Especially this good a draft, Kevin. I, it's yep. like I in no way would trade the. I you know I have a bad feeling they're going to. Like I I really have a pit in my stomach that that they're going to trade the pick. I think they're going to as well. Yeah. You know, and, and and that that bothers me. You know, but, they sorry, they go ahead. Go, they can go after these NCAA free agents. Uh, and I'm not knocking them. There's some really, really good ones, but none of them have a number one center potential. Yeah. Do, do you think any of this has to do with Jacobs kind of being on Sweeney saying, hey, I need you to do this? Um, <sighs> let me throw some numbers at you, Kevin. Uh, the Bruins, well, the NHL sets playoff get about $5 million per per game and that's not that's not counting revenue from concessions a season last year with no fans the owners lost money they lost money big time oh yeah okay is let, let's say concessions bring in the same amount as <clears throat> as the rest of the revenue you're looking at at least two home games 20 million bucks yeah Jeez. that's so, not even that's that's not even putting a dent into what they lost. So yeah. I see where uh, this is going. I, I I can't see ownership saying, you know, we need this because not it's not putting a dent in it. If right. you look at how many home games did they play last year? Uh, uh, it's a fifty-six game season, so had to have been around twenty, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the Jacobs lost a lot of money during this whole pandemic thing because they're a worldwide company that has um, concessions, you know, all over the world. It's not just like one. It's not just TD Garden where everybody thinks that 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 they only operate. They are a worldwide company that lost a ton of money. So anything that they could do uh, to recoup that money is good. But they also aren't. Aren't Jeremy Jacobs gets knocked and so on for being old and stupid, but. As a businessman, you got to look at your lineup and see what you have. You know, I mean, you have thoroughbreds that are working at a certain level, but they're not at a level that you know that there's going to be a longevity in the playoffs or postseason, whatever. You know, why, 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 why make moves? I know that everybody loves the "we need to win now" mode and everything, but they they piss on the future. You know, and I I look at it like this. Uh, Boston fans, I don't live in Boston, so I'm allowed to say it, but they've been spoiled over the years with, yeah. with the Patriots, uh, the Red Sox, the Bruins, and the Celtics. Just been spoiled. So anything less than perfection, i.e. winning, is not good enough. Right. Right. Yep. But at some point, the Patriots without Tom Brady – uh, the Bruins without Bergeron um, or Chara, um, they have to start to build again for the next time. Mm-hmm. They don't have to totally bottom out like Arizona or Montreal. Arizona, Arizona has five players under contract next year. For, for next year. <laughs> and they got, what, 12 draft picks in the first yeah. two rounds? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I I'd love to draft for that team, man. I would love. Oh my to god! Oh my <laughs> yeah. god! You know there there has to be that lull in the in in 
somewhere, and this is it for the Bruins. It's this year and next year, and let's, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they have to miss the playoffs. They call it a retool on the fly. Right. Sweeney's done it before. Yeah, we saw it. it in 2015, 2016. And they almost made the playoffs both yeah. both those years. It came down to the last game both times. Re- retooled on the fly. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. I mean, I just think of it like the, the reason why I asked if maybe Jacobs was in Sweeney's ear a bit was more of, you know, I need to recoup as much money as possible, which means we need to get as far as possible in the playoffs. So that's where that was kind of coming from. I don't I don't think I don't think so. I know Jacobs wants to win as much as fans don't believe that. Uh but he's not the one he's not one to make hockey decisions. Yeah. I mean he's got he's got Harry Sinden there whispering in his ear as a as an advisor to the owner, but Harry isn't that much involved like it was a, a, even a few years ago. Um I think Charlie Jacobs is getting, I don't know that he's getting a little bit more involved, but he's trying to learn. I I give him credit for that. He is trying to learn. And he's come a long way since the first time he jumped up on stage at the draft to call out. I forget whose name it was. And he stuttered through it, but he's, he's come a long way. So um, moving on to the next topic, um, real quick, uh, this was weird. Uh, Nathan McKinnon took a swipe at a player, and I'm not sure which player it was. No sick. No sick at the end of the game and uh, hit an official. And um, it was reviewed, and no no discipline will be uh, – no, no action will be taken on that. But um, is this another way that officials – are just getting I, I, don't, I don't know how to word this whole thing i've kind of lost it myself but why wasn't something done because you went after the player but you hit the official there's always an action for or, or a reaction for an action but why wasn't anything done here is my kind of point well they're they're um I mean, you, you've seen their determination on it, on that he was going after the player and wasn't going after the ref, and it was an accident, this and that. Okay, I, so I think the reason why he's not suspended there and is because refs accidentally get hit a lot, you know. Constantly. Um, and if if they were to suspend him for that, it would kind of go down a weird rabbit hole of, oh, you accidentally checked the ref into the boards going after a play. Do we suspend now, this? Now everything's going to be looked at. Right. So I, 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 I'm guessing that. I'm just guessing that. But, I mean, I don't know. To me, it looked like Nosek was far enough away where he was kind of just like throwing a stick like in the direction and hit the ref. He did. He hit the ref. I, I don't know. I just feel like I just feel like he's getting a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. I don't know, though. It's um, it, it's a it's a tricky situation. It really is. Uh, I'll put it. I'll, I'll, let me put it this way: the only way you can suspend a player for something done to to an official is abuse of officials. The only way you can call a penalty on a player uh, for something done to official is abuse of officials. There was no abuse there. Uh, they they, you know, 
you can't call him for an attempted slash at Nosek, but you can't call him for a slashing penalty on the linesman. And there was no abuse there. And the referees and the linesman didn't think that there was anything there. So why should the league think there was anything there? Well, that's a good point. Good way of talking me off the uh, the cliff on that one because I kind of took it as like, wow, that's kind of weird that, you know, he got hit so on and nothing's being done. But, no, that's definitely put me in the right direction. Trust me, I was there too. I was very vocal about it too. I was like, what the hell is going on? He just slashed an official. You know, if this was Martian, he right. would be banned from the league. You know, I was I was on that on that route as well, but I kind of sat there and thought about it more. And I was just like, you know, I can kind of see why it hasn't turned into the situation that we all thought it was going to. Yeah. The the referees have to make the call on the ice first before an abusive officials call. And then it's an automatic review. If yeah. the referee isn't going to call, call it because let's put it this way. I, I, I guarantee you that the NHL probably called the linesman that was involved and the other three officials that were in the game and said, did you feel there was any intent there? Right. And guaranteed they all said no. Mm-hmm. And it was end of conversation. Now, now, Dom, do you think that was the same phone that was used uh, in the Shesterkin uh, concussion um, protocol? Like, get him out of there? Um, do you follow? I, I was joking, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah okay, I'm, I'm, I'm with I, you. I get it now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That, because that was really quick. Yeah. I mean, uh, no, no. The, okay. Toronto, there's, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of, of the war room in Toronto where they have all these huge screens and everybody's sitting in, uh, in, in front of a TV and watch. As soon as something happens that is questionable, they got a laptop in front of them. They send an email out and said, you, it goes out to Department of Player Safety says such and such a game at such and such a time in the second period, you have to watch this play here. It involved this because department of player safety isn't watching every game. It's coming from the war room in Toronto. Right. And immediately it's sent out to the department of player safety. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, That'd be an awesome job though. Let let me tell you a, a funny story. Do I have time, Mark? Yeah, well, um, uh, we don't need to talk about that one. We don't. We need to talk about one more thing, and then we'll do ASP and G's. But then we'll. I think we'll be all set. Go ahead. Real quick story. So, 2011, after the Bruins won the Stanley Cup, I went to see uh, Mark Savard with his day with the Cup, and then I went to see um, Campbell. Greg Campbell. Good old Gregory. Greg Campbell. Yeah, Supi. I, I got his signed picture right there. So. Anyway, I walk I walk into the the arena where he's at with the cup, and lo and behold, there's Coley Campbell standing there. So I went up, Coley, how you do? I knew Coley from he, I used to own a business in Woodstock, and he lived in Tilsonburg. And every time he came home, he would stop in, and you know, we chat for a minute. So what I told him, I said, Coley, you get to hold the cup. He says, Nah. Master won't let me touch it. <laughs> so this was after the whole uh, Mark Savard, uh, Matt Cook fiasco, right? And how Cook didn't get a suspension. So, you know, I, I barely, rarely talk to anybody about this. And I, I said, so, Coley, tell me what happened. 
He says, Dom, I wanted to suspend Cook. That's when he was in charge of play, Department of Player Safety. He says, I was all ready to throw the book at him. And everybody was against me. Said, no, this is the rule. This is the way the rule is written. Remember, it changed after that, right? The blind side. Mm-hmm. Is right. Yep. I was ready to throw the book at him. But everybody said, you can't. This is the rule. And it doesn't meet the criteria for a suspension. And, you know, Coley Campbell took a lot of shit from Bruins fans about that back in the day. So, you know, I just wanted to get that out there because I had known Coley for a long time. Absolutely. That's a good one, actually. Yeah, that is good. All right. Um, the last one on the topic uh, agenda. Uh, last night, the Boston Bruins trade a 20, 2022 seventh round selection to the Arizona Coyotes for the rights of NCAA Providence College senior Michael Callahan. So, why don't you take this one because you, you you're familiar with all of this? Actually, what, what what pick did they trade? The seventh in twenty twenty four. Yes, twenty twenty four. Oh, I thought it was twenty twenty two. Oh, twenty twenty four. Yeah, oh. future considerations. Yeah. Oh, okay. My bad. My bad. Which, which makes it even better, right? I like I like the trade if if they income, but even then, a, a seventh round pick, uh, three drops away, it doesn't matter if you don't income. So what happens now is they have until August fifteenth uh, to sign them, and I'm pretty confident they are going to sign them. I, I will call him a two way defenseman. But he's not the new style, you know, rush it up the ice uh, type. He um, he he transitions not by skating. You know, he is a good skater. He's actually a very, very good skater. He's got good technique. His edge work is great. Moves laterally really good. Uh, but he's, he's the type that will make that real good first pass to, to send his team into transition. Um, very smart player from what I've seen. I've, I've ordered a couple of ISO tapes, uh, of them. So like I watched one of them today and you can see that he processes the game really, really good. He's got an excellent shot from the point. Um, you know, he plays in all situations, um, his skating and his, his stick work. Like he's really, really good at, at breaking up the rush. Uh, he'll deny it at, at the blue line most of the time, but he's not afraid to take people out and ride him uh, uh, along the wall and stuff. I think Adam McQuaid will be good for him there in in learning to be more physical. Um, you know, I, I, I wrote about it quickly today. Like, the, the Bruins have to replenish their, their defense stock and I think he's a start uh I think he's better than Nick Wolf and you've seen a lot of Nick yeah. Wolf Mark um you know he moves better I I he's smarter I I wouldn't say he's more physical but uh he, he just brings a better all-around game in every situation than than Nick Wolf now Wolf is a restricted free agent at the end of the year Honestly, I don't even know if I'd bring him back. Tom, to be honest with you, this is the kind of trend that's going on with the Boston Bruins organization. They tried this big, big, hulky defenseman 
with picking um, Riley Sherman. Riley Sherman. Yeah, they tried it with that, and they brought and, and Sherman is gone. He doesn't. He's playing overseas now. They bring in Nick Wolf, and then it's. I mean, it's it's okay. It's good middle depth and stuff. But um, this is this sounds like this is the next guy that's going to take over for Nick Wolf. You know, it's just that that but bigger Callahan, Callahan can play though, Mark. Yeah, yeah, he can play. Um, you know, I like it. I like the trade. Hopefully, they can income to a deal. I, I think, you know, he plays for Providence. He went to Providence. Why wouldn't he like the Bruins? So, yep. uh, I think he looks at the depth chart and says, you know. I may have a chance here. Now, it depends, of course, on what else they do, but um, I, I think it was a good move. I think there's more to come. I really do. I think I think they're going to get at least one, possibly two more. Nice. Players uh, uh, through free agency. And we'll, we'll see what happens. Like, Kevin, did you get to see him at all? No, no. No, but this is exactly why I tweeted you last night. Was because I needed this. Do you know how much? Do you know how much those ISO tapes cost, buddy? I can only imagine. Three hundred bucks a crack. Jeez. (laughs) And and I do this for nothing. Jesus, I got to put you on the salary now. <laughs> and this is exactly why I tweeted you last night because I knew I was going to get something from you that I wasn't going to get from the other guys tweeting out the things they Googled. You, so. you know, I get the, my phone here. Every time the Bruins sends something out, I get an alert. That one is. There's <laughs> one. So 10 10:38 last night or whatever time it was. This comes up. Well, I'm already. I'm 61 years old, man. I'm in bed asleep by 7:30. Good for you. I call Callahan. Nah, I'm not getting up for that. <laughs> and then I saw your message when I got up this morning. I go, oh yeah, okay. Now I I remember see watching the kids quite a few times this year. So call my or message my buddy. I said, can you get me some ISO tapes? Yeah, I'll get them out to you today. So. You know, Mark will tell you, I was on the road most of the day and uh, my phone's sitting up on my steering wheel like this, leaned up oh, against yeah. the speedometer and I'm watching an ISO tape of the kid playing as I'm driving. Oh, Jesus. Fast and dangerous, Dom. <laughs> um, You're a bad man. No, I'm on bad man. roads. There's no other traffic out there. So. <laughs> All right, boys. Let's get to these uh, Ask BNGs because we do have eight of them. Let's piss right through them and get this over with. Let's start off with our own Boston, I mean, blackandgoldhockey.com writer, Ryan Duffy. He says, fellas, what are your thoughts on the recent rumors circulating the Anaheims, Raquel, and Lindholm, which addresses the biggest hole for Boston, hashtag AskBNG. I think we're going to be in unison on this one, that Lindholm would be the guy that would address the biggest need for Boston. Well, I already gave you my thoughts on him, so when when, – I just think, like I said, well, quickly again, I think uh, Pat Verbeek is probably in an ideal deal situation with Lynn Holm as a general manager. And by Boston, I'm not giving up the farm for him. Yeah, he's 28 years old, but I don't know, man. As a UFA, what do you think that they'd have to give up? I think a first-round pick is going to be got for Lynn Holm. 
oh, regardless yeah, of his UFA status. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I know you had to leave the room when we were talking about this, but it's got 28 days to make a decision. Yep. If somebody wants him that bad right now, it's a massive overpay. Absolutely. Massive overpay. And it's already yeah. a massive overpay if you're the Bruins yeah. because you have to beat out all these other people on yeah. teams who have the assets that mm-hmm. you don't. Yeah. So in 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 28 days trade deadline, depending on where Anaheim is, you may get him cheaper than you would today. Right. But Brubeek has the luxury of being able to wait, and I don't see any GM in the league in the same position as he is with two players that could. And as Mark alluded to, they've already got a, a very good prospect pool. Oh, it's unreal. They're, they're just adding to it. Right. Yeah. And that's I mean, why that's why a, a GM like Verbeek doesn't have to be, like, pushed up against the 11th hour. I mean, no. he doesn't have to make a move right now. He can wait till then. Yeah. Yep. So let's quickly touch on Verkel as well, very quickly. Um, that's another guy who the Bruins could use um, on the right side next to a Bergeron and a Martian. I mean, what's the price for a guy like that? I, I'm thinking it's got to be at least a second rounder plus a prospect at least. I think it's a second plus a prospect. And I think you could get a, a second and a B-level prospect. So you're yep. you're not giving up a Lori or you're not giving up a, a, a Lysel. Right. So – you know, you might be looking at a Harrison or, uh, you know, somebody like that. Real quick, is Harrison off limits for you? Because he kind of is for me. No. He kind of no. is for me. No. And, you know, I hate to say, any because he was so nice enough to join Mark and I for the podcast, I know he's only 18 years old and he's got a lot of developing to do. But um, I see some laziness defensively. I see a lack of physicality. I, you know, I don't know if you saw, but I tweeted it out where um, Tyler Tulio took the puck to the net and uh, crashed into the net. And all of a sudden, um, I forget who they were playing. Uh, three guys jumped on him. And, uh, you know, it was a little scrum. It ended quickly, but... Harrison just stood there in the picture, didn't hmm. get involved. That's interesting news. Yeah, because I don't so, follow – I'm not able to watch them like you guys are. So, so for, Kevin, he's offensively uh, like he's a must-have. He, right. He's, like, dangerous. He's got to learn. And I'm not saying he's not capable of learning it. He will. But for me, when I'm watching a, pro, uh, a prospect – if I'm watching a game, I want to see how he improves from shift to shift. Mm-hmm. But if I'm watching a player a season, and I, believe me, I've watched every one of his games, whether in person or on video, okay? I have to see from day one to game 34 some sort of improvement, and it's not there. Interesting. It's not there. I, I, I don't want to see it season to season. I want to see it improving from game to game. Show me show me something that tells me, yeah, you're getting it. Right. I'm not saying he won't. Like I said, he's only 18 years old. Adam McQuaid, because I can tell you, the Bruins would not be happy seeing some of the things I've seen. You know, you got the opposition. You're in your own 
and then the guy's coming around the corner along the wall and you're there with your stick trying to knock the puck off off his stick use the body use the body he's got yep. a big body right we got you enough know? guys like that who are afraid to use their frames yeah so, so um i i know the bruins would not be happy with that i can guarantee you they wouldn't be happy with that so um I, I hope I hope we start to see something come out of it soon, and right. uh, you know I'm I'm not counting him out, but right. if I I wouldn't say he's an untouchable, right? And, and the reason why I was saying it was just because the center depth for the Boston Bruins in the pipeline. It's like one of those areas where I just don't want to be touched, you know, especially coming you know for a kid who has a ceiling of being a second line guy, you know, which is something this team desperately needs that that for me was the reason why I wouldn't be looking to move him. Um, is he completely untouchable for me? No, if he's going to get you something of significance, like real significance, I'd move him for sure. But for Raquel now. No, no, definitely. Well, I don't know. I think that's what it would take is a second plus him. Somebody, uh, you know, I don't think a beacher would be enough. For, oh, yeah. for Anaheim, I don't know. Uh, maybe a Studnika might be. I moved Studnika. I've been off the wagon of him being a top six guy for a while now. So, <clears throat> yeah, to you know, he used to me, he used to be a, a number two center, but I've dropped into a number three. I think yep. that's his upside now. All right, moving on to the next one, we have Mike B. Um, what can do the Bruins do with Nick Foligno? Does he play a fourth line and send bleed down? Does the gulp get <laughs> up with the Marshy Bergeron when Martian comes back? Do they trade him like Nick Ritchie situation in Toronto? And I can't see the bottom of that. So thoughts on uh, Nick, uh, Nick Foligno? I think we touched on a lot of it um, during this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's not getting the lineup. <clears throat> He's not getting traded. He's got a no move. Yeah. Um, so that's no. not happening this year. Or value at this point. Or value. And, and seriously, guys, I look at it like this. We all know Patrice Bergeron put the phone call to him to get him here. Um, what are you telling Patrice Bergeron? Yep. Yeah. No, that's a good you know, you, you know, let's say you could get Claude Giroux cheap. And we know all it's going to take is a phone call from uh, Patrice Bergeron to get uh, Giroux to Boston. Mm -hmm. Is he going to make that phone call for you after you just traded the guy you had me call a few months ago to come here? Yep. People don't think about that stuff. You're no. hitting the nail on the head there. Absolutely. I mean, but that's why you do? bring me on to the yeah. That's right. This is why I love talking with you, Dom. I know this. <laughs> But this is why he's going to be a regular. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So when so when I look at the whole thing with Felino, yeah, fourth line, that's where he's going to be. We saw that today. Uh, moving forward, though, he's going to have to earn that spot, in my opinion, because bleed is, in my opinion, ahead of him. But he's not, you know, in their in their eyes. So um, he's going to be hot on his heels. And if Nick Felino is not doing the things he's got to do, then <coughs> bleed will. And bleed does exactly. not have to be sent down to keep Felino in the lineup. Right. Just scratched. You know, they're, they're at the 23-man roster uh, without him. 
So, or with both of them. So there's no worries about losing bleed. Now, if they bring somebody in, in a trade, um, now you're forcing somebody out like Kessel that you're only setting a mid round draft pick for. Now you're forcing somebody out. Yep. All right. Next one on the ask BNG. This is from the third line grinders from Cameron Pierce and my boy, uh, Nick, uh, Gendron. Uh, hashtag ask BNG if the team makes the playoffs but is a first round exit and it's not close, where do you go with the team during the off season, both roster and front office? I'm still on the uh, the whole if 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 things don't work out, I would like to see the GM changed. I, 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 I don't know, <sighs> that, that, that that's that's just me though. Yeah, I'm not there. I think I I don't think Sweeney's done enough bad things to not earn himself at least another year moving forward. Um, I think his last draft really helped him out. Uh, this deadline's going to be a big one for him. If he, if, you know, if um if the deadline is good for him, then I think that he's going to be fine. You know, I I think he's going to be okay moving forward, and I, I like I I like Sweeney going into this draft. This is going to be a big draft for the Bruins, and I don't know if I want to bring in a guy who's not up to speed on what's going on within the organization and, and the needs um, going into a draft. You know, of this caliber. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Dom? Well, I agree with you, and like I agree on everything you said, and I think you really nailed or hit the nail on the head with your last statement about bringing somebody in unprepared uh, for the draft. And, you know, I'm going to bring up everybody's favorite topic, 2015, because they were unprepared. Even Cam Neely come out and said, and said they were unprepared. They fired the general manager. Uh, Keith Gretzky was a lame duck director of scouting had no input into the draft. If if Keith Gretzky had input into the draft, let's not forget that Peter Shirelli had planned to go see Kyle Connor. Right. Play. Okay. That came from Keith Gretzky. He's the director of scouting said, Peter, this is the guy we need. Go have a look. He gets canned and they draft. One, two, three. I'm not going to name names. We all know who they are. So they were unprepared and they weren't taking advice from the guy who was leading the charge because he was lame duck. He was going to be gone too. I don't care who you bring in as GM. Uh, you could bring in Sam Pollock in his prime. I don't know. You guys are probably too young to know who Sam Pollock is. Uh, I've heard I watched him growing up. I, I, I got it. He was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway um it, it 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 just spells disaster and one thing you have to give sweetie credit for is he's built a pretty darn good scouting department now first couple of years weren't so great because there are new people in there and he really wasn't sure whose advice to take and and <clears throat> So one, some people had a bigger voice than others, but now they're all equals and everybody gets an equal voice and he knows who they are. And I think we've seen it in the last two drafts. 
a new GM comes in, they don't know those guys. Or he won't know those guys. So I think we're setting up for failure by doing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said earlier in the in the podcast, I think it comes down to, as you said, too, trade deadline. What's he do? Is he building for now and the future? And can he get some of these top prized NCAA players to right. a contract? Yep. And, and Sweeney's always been the guy who said that, I'm not going to make a deal for this team that is going to affect the future of this franchise. He's always been a now and uh, future type of guy. Yeah. So I don't see it changing now. I, I see him going after, you know, we'll, we'll get into guys. We could see him going after, of course. And if he does that, I think he'll be fine. Um, I, I, you know, if he totally blows it, then I can see him being out of a job. Yep. But, this guy won GM of the year a few years ago. I know. You know, he yeah. knows what he's doing. All right. Moving on to the next one. We have Sean Harvey. Do the Bruins really want someone like Chikrin, or should they be looking for more shutdown defensemen? Uh, or should they be focusing on depth offense over defense? Uh, it seems like defense from analytics and what not seems pretty stable and good. Wondering what your thoughts. Hashtag AskBNG. One thing I'll say about Chikrin is this guy can play in all three zones. I mean, if you're looking for a guy who can really push the envelope for you, it's him. He's going to be more than just a shutdown guy. He's also going to be able to do that at times for you. He's that good. This is a legitimate. And plus, I mean, I want him to get Chikrin just because Dom's got a nice little jersey he said he's going to send me. So. I was, I was going to bring that up if you <laughs> I was going to bring that up if you didn't. So You're right. You're absolutely right, Kevin. I've watched this. This guy could have entered the Ontario Hockey League at, with exceptional status, and uh, but he chose not to. Uh, he's that good. I don't care what the numbers say, what any of the analytics say. It's Arizona. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, I'm not holding any of the numbers against him. Uh, in a, in a, a, on a good team with structure and quality players around him, you'll see what this guy is capable of. He is the real deal. Now, that said, I don't think there's any hope in hell that the Bruins can get him. The, the assets that it would cost – is what would set this if you think 2015 draft set this team back the assets you're giving up for chikrin will set them back oh yeah it's, it's that term that's going to set everybody overboard and overpay yeah it's it's a double-edged sword for for sure i mean because <clears throat> you're giving up the assets to get him, but he's 23 he's got that nice term for a few years to really grow and build within your system but it, you know which side of it's going to hurt more. I mean, we can speculate all we want. I mean, but that move right there, I don't think that would be a dagger to Sweeney. Like if he went out and made a move, let's say he gave up a first round pick. That's not the killer for me. The first round pick wouldn't be the killer for me. It'd be if he gave up a guy like LaSalle or Lori, that would be the killer for me. Um, you know, and then you got to throw a roster player in there. I mean, I don't think DeBrusque would be enough. I think it would have to be DeBrusque plus someone else. 
Um, or you're looking at a guy like Carlo and then you're just making another hole on your team. So it's going to be a tough one. Let me, let me go back to just prior to the draft in, in, in 2016 and Bob McKenzie and I had an interesting debate on Twitter for everybody to see about, uh, Mikhail Sergachev, Ole Yul Levy, and Jacob Chikrin. Now, he had him ranked, I believe, in his his um, consensus uh, drafting as, as Yul Levy, number one, Sergachev, number two, Chikrin, number three. I said, Bob, you're crazy. I said, Chikrin is 10 times the player Ole Yul Levy is. Everybody was all worried about or thinking about Finland and the World Junior Championships and and how good he was. Well, I didn't think it was that great. It's like, you know, two guys, Puljujarvi and Line, it carried that team, not Yolevi. So, um, Sergachev to me was still the top defenseman out of the OHL. Chikrin was number two, and Yolevi was number three, and. Some people were saying, oh, you got to put um, Logan Stanley up there. God, Logan Stanley isn't on their level, man. Like, we, what are you guys watching? <laughs> so, like, Bob and I had this debate going on, I don't know, for for hours back and forth on, on Twitter. And I said, well, Bob, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, you'll be lucky if only Yo Levy plays 100 games in the NHL. And what's he played now? <laughs> 32. Oh, Jesus. Oh. Tom, how, how have you not been hired by an NHL team? I've had offers. I just don't want to. It, oh, I know. That's why I'm still wondering, though. <laughs> it's, it's, especially now. I had an offer last summer to do something. But, um, you know, my grandson is my pride and joy. Like I live alone, Kevin. My wife passed away like 13 years ago. So I respect the hell out of it, Dom. I, all I do is live for him, and I spend as much time with him as possible. And there's no way I'd move uh, for for any job, and, and that that's going to take me away from him. He's yeah. getting at the age now where I can bring him to a hockey game. Nice. Major respect yeah. for that, Dom. Major, Next, yeah. huge respect so, for that. It's not a lot of people who would think like that, you know. Over the years, over the years, I've I've built up a lot of connections. I I've been watching hockey since the day Bobby Orr stepped foot on the on on the ice. I've been going to games since since Chris Pronger stepped foot on. You know, because he Eddie Olchuk stepped foot as a, a junior B player here in Stratford. So. You know, I my dad got me hooked on hockey when I I, I think I was four years old, five years old. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. Like me, two I was two and a half years old on the cranberry bogs learning how to skate. You know, it's uh Yeah. So I was a Leaf fan. Yuck. For my first couple of years. They won the cup and then I switched over to the Bruins. Nice. So in an orderly fashion too, because yeah. they haven't won a cup since sixty seven. Yeah, so I'm the cur- I'm the curse on the leaves. For a playoff it's- round since 2004, I believe. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, all right. Moving on to the next topic. This is from Dominic Howard, another fantastic Dominic. 
Uh, does Jake DeBrus pop up on the right side of Bergeron tomorrow night in Seattle, assuming Coyle, Smith, and Frederick stay together? Butch cannot put DeBrusque any lower than the third line that will kill his trade value. Maybe boost it by putting him with Marshan and Bergeron. Uh, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier about the uh, the lineup, but in our concerns for who's going to be at the right side on the top line. But I think I already know. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to give Jabroska a, a full reign on on how he does tomorrow night and. And if he can secure that spot for a little while longer with a good play, then good for him. But and I think we're we're all going to disagree that when when the other Dom said you can't put him any lower than the third line and drop his trade value, <laughs> I think recently on the fourth line and the way he's been playing, his value's gone up a little bit. I agree. I was going to say the same thing. Sure. So you and can't I- you, you can't say <laughs> dropping him is going to lower his trade value. And I think Seattle, the Seattle game is the perfect one for, um, for DeBrus to get into and kind of start building a little bit of stuff there with Martian. Yeah. All right, moving on to the next one. This is from Rob Plowinski. I think that's how I, how you say it. I'm not sure. Come playoff time. Do the NHL Bruins continue to try and fit Nick Foligno into the lineup? Or are we done with this experiment? i.e. David Backus, hashtag AskBNG. I think we touched on that several times this in this podcast that I don't know if he's like the the uh, second coming of David Backus. I, I certainly hope not, but um, it is uh, a position that the Boston Bruins continually find reasons to acquire because I, I believe that they have that experience and so on that they don't have full trust in their youth, which kind of bothered me. It's almost like cock blocking a little bit as you invest so much time in some of your prospects, but you continually sign veteran forwards at the kind of like, you know, low minimums, but you're not giving your chance to the, to your, um, to the guys lower in the depths. So. Kind of I agree, like, but let me, let me throw this at you guys and get your opinion on it. Did they acquire Nick Felino for the regular season, or did they acquire Nick Felino for the playoffs? That's why I love this yes, guy. yes. And you know, it's funny because this is what I was gonna literally say, Dom. It's going to take Nick Felino becoming a liability on the ice, uh, um, or an injury for him to not be playing in the playoffs. Um, he will be in that playoffs because you can play him on a fourth line, take the $3.8 million cap hit out of your brain. You can play him on that fourth line and he's going to be more valuable there for you than I think anyone else below him. And and that's even with bleed doing the things he's doing. Yeah. I think Nifolino is way more valuable for you in the playoffs on, in the locker room, on the ice leadership wise, um, his toughness wise, um, you know, but you got to kind of, I, I and think defensively, yes, defensively too, Kevin. and defensively, just, all, just all around, you know, he, he's just going to give you a lot more than sitting on the bench or sitting on the ninth floor. And when it comes to, when it comes to the regular season, I think they're going to be giving him some time off to prepare yeah. for that run. And people need to forget Toronto because he was injured in Toronto. <laughs> uh, you, you, you can't hold that against him. He also had four points in like six games on the second line yeah. next to Tavares. So yeah, that was regular season, though. 
Yeah, right. I'd only I'd only be able to get three next to Tavares myself. So good for Nick. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right, moving on to the second last one. We got from Steve McEachern, good Nova Scotian boy. Who are the top three trade targets for the NHL Bruins at the trade deadline? I'm not sure who they're going to be, but I would like to see two defensemen if possible. But I'm not sure if that is possible. So let's Sorry to make my answer quick. Dom Dom said earlier that he had a trade target in mind. So I think we should throw this to Dom real quick so he can uh, well, let us know that one. Put him on the pressure spot right now. Well, it was just someone he'd go after. I'm not saying like, hey, who are the Bruins trading for 100%? What are your people telling you? You know, this is somebody that you wanted to see as a target that you were talking about earlier. The guy I would go after, if it was me, and, 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 you know, no indication that the Bruins are even interested, is Mark Giordano. Ooh, interesting. That's, That's the guy I would target. And this kind of leads me into what I had said to you, Dom, earlier about how we were talking about the need for the defenseman, and then you were like, oh, you know, the second-line center too. If you can swing getting one of Giordano or Vince Dunn and pair him with a McCann and get them out of Seattle, you've just upgraded your second-line center position. And... Mm-hmm. um you also brought back a defenseman who's going to definitely help you. So um, that, I think that's a way you could get that done. I, yeah. I, I, I McCann is 25 years old. Um, he's, yeah, he's going to be team controlled and he's still young enough to help this team and still grow a little bit. I and mean, he's got what, 21 goals on the, on the year so far. I mean, I totally I love, I love Vince Dunn too, from his days in the, in the OHL. So. Boom, chakaraka. Yep, yep. Vince Dunn is another good one. I, he can play physical too, and I think the yeah. team needs something like that for sure. But Giordano, I like too. It's just uh, it, it, I don't know what the cost would be to get him though. That's the thing. Well, um, it's pretty much guaranteed he's going back to 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 Calgary anyway. So my my thing on the trade deadline is, and I'm I'm totally going on Jeff Merrick right now from the Jeff Merrick show on Sportsnet, and he constantly, constantly raves about a player like Brandon Hagel, a guy that can be offensive. He has offensive production, but also a pain in the ass to play and wouldn't and doesn't mind dropping the gloves. Kind of reminds me of the type of Pat Maroon, but more offensively skilled. And those are the types of players I really want on this Boston Bruins team is somebody that can – has the ability to put the puck in the net, but also stick up for themselves and another player. Now, is that is is Nick Foligno your Pat Maroon? Uh, maybe not in the goal scoring department, but you know, as far as being able to stick up for your teammates and play tough. Now, see, here's here's where I come at it from, though. Mark is, are they difference makers? Are they going to put you over the top? No, not this team. <clears throat> so. They're, the Bruins just aren't close enough. That's why I say hold on to your assets, draft, develop your own, and not only will you save assets, it's going to cost you less money in the short term because you're getting those guys then on entry-level contracts. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I, Unless it's a deal that's for now in the future and puts you near the top, 
with this team and stuff, unless they show me over the next few weeks that they're playing every game the way they played against Colorado. Right. I'm not spending the assets. I'm yeah. not. Right. And there's still four weeks until then. I mean, is McCann yeah. and, um, and, um, <laughs> His name is uh, Dunn, uh, a type of move that you see that is a now and a future move that would move the needle for you? Without knowing the cost, Kevin, it's hard to say. Right. Yep. And we don't even know what the cost of something like that. I think a first-round yeah. pick would definitely be involved in there for sure. Um, but where where else they went from there, who knows? DeBrusque would probably be going the other way. I think DeBrusque would be a good fit over there too. I think that would be I a think good he chance would. for him. But I, w- I wouldn't give up the first for those two because – the player you're getting in the first round uh, in 2022 is going to be a better player than both of them. Yeah. Interesting. I, I don't think the two of them enough, make enough of a difference for your team. Okay. Interesting. All right. All right. The last one we have from the SBNG is what is the best case playoff scenario for the Bruins? Hashtag SBNG. And that's from Devin Garden. Winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm, that's... I'm not sure that's what he's asking. I'm sure that he's like pretty much like trying to ask where they realistically could be. Yeah, I think that's what he's asking. Yeah, too. I had them at the beginning of the season penciled in for a Stanley. I mean, sorry for a um, an Eastern Conference final appearance, but at this point, I think this is a second round team exit. You know, depending on their matchup in the first round, if they get Florida, I think they have a chance to make it to the second round. If they get Carolina, ouch, depends on what they do at the deadline. You know, without seeing what happens right now, as constituted, they'll make the playoffs. Yep, right. That's it. They're not going any further. It's like we talked about before. They, they, they can run with Toronto. They can run with Florida. They can run with Pittsburgh. They can run with New York. Right now, you're meeting either either Florida or or Carolina because they still have a chance to pass Washington. They're only, what, four points back with two games in hand or something? They also um, have a chance to pass Toronto. You know, They also so. have a chance to pass Toronto. And if you're playing Tampa first round, I mean, I like your chances better than Carolina just due to the fact that you've been able to pull out a win against them. Um, and you haven't looked, you've looked, you've made them look human against you in a sense. Yeah. But Carolina, I mean, no, you're getting spanked no. every time and they look at you. Look at the Panthers' record. They're terrible at home or on the road. They're oh, yeah. terrible on the road. Yeah. Right, right, now, right now, the Boston Bruins have uh, 62 points and they are the second wild card spot. Washington has 65 points in the first round, first um, wild card spot. But also three the, points back then. Yeah. Yeah. It's what, my are games, what are the games played? Oh, they don't have oh games played. There's 50 for the Bruins, 52 for Washington, and 50 for Washington. I mean uh Toronto. Sorry. Jesus. So they got two games in hand on Washington. Uh and even even with Toronto. And they're only three points back of Washington. Yeah. But so if Boston game, can go upwards and Toronto keeps sliding, I mean Hmm. Yeah, you're looking at you're looking at a date with Tampa. Yep, and I I'm yeah. I don't know how that's going to go for you unless you're able to add significant pieces, um, at least one significant piece at the deadline. I mean, uh, yeah, we got to win over them in the regular season, but I, I 
I have Tampa in a seven-game series over I, the Boston Bruins at this point. Do you want to go up against Vasilevsky? <laughs> no. In in the playoffs, or do you want to go up against Bobrovsky? This Boston Bruins team is having a hard enough time going up against Matt Murray at times. Yeah. So, I mean, no. I mean, I mean or, Tristan or Jarry's having himself Tristan quite Jarry the year. As well. Yeah, even though he's having himself quite the year, um, he's definitely rebounding from his Swiss cheese glove in the playoffs last season. Yeah. But. <laughs> That's fine. All right, boys. We're going to end this right now. I want to thank, um, obviously, Kevin O'Keefe. And um, and uh, Dom Tiano, thank you so much for the time tonight. We, I can't believe it went on for over two hours. This is crazy. That's fun. Oh, I Yo, love yeah. it. I absolutely love this stuff, man. I could do this all the time, man. Like right. if I could do this for an eight-hour job, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Oh yeah. But um, before we go, we do want to talk about uh, we have a Patreon account. We do have a Patreon account that you can join for one dollar. It could be a part of. Um, some Bruins prizes and a weekly, a monthly, sorry, monthly jersey giveaway that we buy from Boston Sports and Music Memorabilia from uh, Bruce Sullivan. And uh, you can go to patreon.com slash black and gold hockey podcast and donate just $1. And we truly appreciate that. This week's winner is Angie Squires, and she's a lovely lady from Newfoundland. And I think I hacked that up, uh, that Newfoundland word anyway. She tells me at the time, I don't have the right accent to say Newfoundland. Newfoundland. But, uh, yeah, Newfoundland. Yeah, see. Newfoundland. My wife was a Newfie. Just say Newfie. Newfie, okay. All right. See, I think that's offensive. And but, no, they, they don't take offense to it. They call themselves Newfies all the time. Perfect. Perfect. Ask them where they're from. They say, I'm a Newfie. <laughs> or the rock. <laughs> or the rock. Yeah. But anyway, listen, guys, thank you so much for um, for hanging with us. I truly appreciate it. Thank you, Dom, for the time tonight. I really appreciate that. We will definitely have you back on, man. We will definitely have you back on soon. Kevin O'Keefe, always a pleasure. And um, I'm going to try my best to get this edited tonight. Uh, if not, it will drop before game time tomorrow because the game is at 10 o'clock. So I probably can get this out way before then. So with that being said, I'm Mark Allred. That's Kevin O'Keefe. That's Dom Tiano. And we're the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. This is episode 267. Peace out. Peace out. Peace out. Thanks again for tuning in and supporting this week's episode of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating and write a review on listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. If you'd like to contact the show for advertising opportunities or to send us a question or topic idea we should be discussing, please send us an email to blackandgoldproductionsllc at gmail.com. Don't forget to share our program on your social media platforms with other hockey fans and follow our Twitter accounts at blackandgoldpod at BNG Productions, at Black and Gold 277, and at Kevin underscore O'Keefe 89. Also, please don't forget to check out our official blackandgoldhockey.com website where we cover the Bruins organization from the NHL level down to the prospects worldwide. Peace out.